Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. It is Tuesday. It is April 5th, 2022. We are now officially in the year 5782. And for those of you who have been following along in the broadcast, you know that 5782 is the year in the Hebrew of awakening. It's time to wake up. We have spent the last year 5781 packing our bags. In other words, Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, preparing, getting ready to do what? To go out. Why? Because it's a time of transition. We are living in a day of shifting and transitioning. The transition for the people of God who are living in the light side of the day is a very joyful journey into the wilderness where God has prepared a place for her. This is what we believe. This is what we believe the scriptures are showing us. And whatever that looks like, you know, that's different. Whatever it looks like, uh, it's going to be phenomenal to see. But remember the prophet Isaiah chapter 60, uh, he wrote that arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen in you. So one day, both darkness and light the middle ground, the gray zone wiped out. Every individual, every inhabitant upon planet Earth has to make a decision and make a choice on what side of the day they want to live. There's only one true light of the world, and that is Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only light of the world. So those who are going to walk in the light of this new day are going to walk in Yeshua's light. They're going to walk in the light of the world. Those who are going to walk in the 
satanic light where Satan transforms himself into a minister of righteousness and he, he's, a, he's a deceptive light, you know, that's going to be in the darkness. Even that light is darkness when it comes to those type of thoughts. So what side of the day are the nations on? Well, there's a lot of people operating right now in the dark side of the day. A gross darkness has descended upon the minds of the masses and the God of this world is deceiving and blinding them from truth and reality. Jesus's light is truth. It is reality. And we walk in that light and we come up with wisdom. We find understanding. We are not lost when we're living in the world today. We kind of get a biblical uh, understanding of what time it is, what's going on. And what God has been revealing to us is that it was time to prepare all along. Prepare, 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 because the day is going to come when you're going to go out just like the Israelis went out of Egypt, just like they left the wilderness 40 years later to go into the promised land, transition, the reformation. It was time to go out from Catholicism. There's all kinds of biblical patterns that have been set before our generation about what we're looking at, what we're viewing, what we're seeing. We're giving interpretation to it, and we need to follow the leading. And how do you do that? By faith. It's all by faith. But our faith in Christ has afforded us a wisdom and an insight that the nations of the earth don't have. And you and I have to be careful to hold on to the revelation that God has given to us, the witness that God has put into our hearts, the truth and the understanding of the days that we are living in. There's no doubt today that we are living in the last days, the end of time. We are the end of 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 the ages has come upon us people and that is a reality. And so we know that the Bible says when you see wars and rumors of wars and great deception and earthquakes and pestilences and famines and commotions and troubles, and it's happening everywhere, well, globally right now, all over the world, this is happening. We are witnessing the signs of the times. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we see that in the apocalypse, the four horses, that those four horses represent people groups. They've already left the gate. They will ride to the very end. In other words, when the white horse left the gate or when the red horse left the gate, the black horse, the green horse, they left the gate within this period of time, I believe since 9-11-2001, and they will continue to do what they do until they meet up with the white horse rider of Revelation chapter 19. Again, this takes a lot of Bible study, a lot of insight, prayer, seeking it out, judging it, there's no doubt, but this is what we've come up with in our generation. And so far, we are still within the context of this possibility, the potential of being that final generation who are now living in the beginning of sorrows. I believe that the beginning of sorrows, the biblical beginning of sorrows spoken of in scripture about the last days has begun. And we have been at it, in my understanding, from 9-11-2001. I don't see any reason why that is not Connected to the reality, uh, I also connect it with other thoughts as well. So we're watching it, we're living in it, we're seeing food prices rise, we're seeing the, 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 you know, the black horse and the green horse, you know, what they've done before, they're doing again, and it's about to get a little bit more severe. We know about um, the southern border in our own country, but this is not, and I think it's important to realize that we're, the Bible is not an American gospel. It's not centered on America. America is in this Bible. I believe that we have become this Judeo-Christian nation 
we have become Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Babylon. I believe that those are the traits that have shown up in our bloodline today. Thank God you and I are of a new bloodline. We are of the kingdom of God. We have one king, one governor, Jesus, and no man or government on this earth is going to be our head. We have one head. His name is Jesus. We've been born again, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, period. That's where we dwell. But we are citizens of this country on earth in these bodies. And we love what America once stood for, life, virtue, values, uh, the pursuit of happiness, right? All of those uh, thoughts and ideas that were handed down to us, which have been obliterated, okay? But the reality is we're watching end-time events. And so God is telling us that right before the Great Tribulation, right before the three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation, there will be a people going into the wilderness, which God has prepared for her. One of the things we've been looking at in Isaiah 51, verse 3, is how God said he's going to make our wilderness like the Garden of Eden. He's going to make our desert like Eden. I mean, he says there'll be joy and laughter in the wilderness, which is a phenomenal thought when you really think about it. You know, God prepared a Garden of Eden for Adam It was not junk. It was not second rate. It was beyond five star, right? So he gave him this gorgeous place to live. So when God prepares the wilderness for overcoming people in the last days who have honored him and have kept faith in him, he's bringing us into a wilderness that's going to be filled with joy and rejoicing. In fact, let me just read that to you, exactly what it says in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. Isaiah 51, 3, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Joy and gladness in the wilderness and in the desert, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. So, Here, there's a promise of God making the wilderness where he's bringing his people a place of joy and rejoicing, a place of gladness, a place like the Garden of Eden. Wow. So we don't have to be so worried about leaving behind this world system and going into God's wilderness, his prepared place for us. We need to be obedient and be led by the Spirit and get on those two great big wings of an eagle and allow it to take us where God wants us to go, right? But we are in the time of transition. We are in the time of transitional uh, uh, movement, shifting. Uh, We we call that a dispensational shift. Uh, We are within the ages that have been and the ages that are yet to come. So everything is moving. And that's what you're witnessing on this earth. There's upheaval. There's turmoil. There's commotion. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. The joyful giddiness of the world, the people that have advanced their LGBTQ community stuff, the people that have advanced their corrupt ideas, their corrupt theology, their corrupt narrative out of Hollywood, Washington, the people around the world that have been globalists and, you know, just harnessing the nations, and they've been so happy drinking their martinis, doing their deals, high fives, all of that is about to change into a great woe, and that's what people of God need to understand that the devil is looking like he's a victor today. The devil is making it seem like he's one, that God is nothing, that he is everything, that lust and pride and ego and, you know, all the garbage that's in the world today is so fun 
and they look like they're really doing a winning job, right? Well, it depends on who you ask. For them, they're just fleecing the flock. They're just taking from the nations. The nations are their slaves. They want to be at the top of the pyramid and use us to build their empires again. But the bottom line is, their time of woe is coming. And what God is saying to the ecclesia, you got to recognize what's going on here. You have to have packed your bags. I hope all your bags are packed. My bags are packed and I'm going home. The taxi's waiting, he's blowing his horn. Already on. Okay, you remember that song. You got to make sure your bags are packed, right? Because now we're in the year 5782, the awakening, the pudenda, the nakedness. This is the time of stripping away the facade. It's an awakening that this is not good. What's been going on is a deception. And you're going to see a great famine hit the world and nakedness and poverty and in, in, impoverishment. It's going to hit. I mean, it's coming. And there's got to be an awakening. Thank God you're awakened. Thank God I'm awakened. Thank God we're still looking at the word of God. That's so important for us. And so get ready to go out. Where's God taking us? Well, he's going to make it clear. I believe that with all my heart. The, the, we, the wings of eagles are going to carry us to our destination. So look for that eagle anointing. Look for that place where God is preparing. And, you know, again, if God prepares a place, you know it's got to be awesome. And Isaiah 51 tells us it's going to be a great place to be, especially for three and a half years. So it, it is the, great, the, the beginning of sorrows, according to Scripture, is exactly what takes place right before the tribulation. In the New Testament, there is no such thing as a seven-year tribulation period. Okay? I'm just saying, in the New Testament. Now, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, 28, 29, all those verses there, in one passage of Scripture... There's an idea about 62 weeks, the 70th week, 69 weeks. Uh, it goes back to some people looked at Ezra, some people look at Nehemiah. They look at the counting of before Christ and what happened in the final seven weeks. And they, you know, do you know that there are over 300 different interpretations to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 and onward? People have come up with over 300 different ideas of an Old Testament passage, one the Word of God says you cannot establish anything without two or three witnesses. There needs to be two or three verses of Scripture to back up an idea. Even this thing we call the pre-tribulational rapture, for example, you cannot find two or three solid Scriptures really anywhere about the church disappearing right before the tribulation. You could try to put ideas and concepts and types and shadows into it, but you can't back those up with two or three witnesses, strong biblical witnesses. And yet, we could find scripture after scripture proving that the church is going to be here until the coming of the Lord. And that the only coming of the Lord spoken of in scripture is immediately after the tribulation. I mean, it's right there in the Word of God and then built upon by the apostles in their teaching. And so the idea that the church doesn't need to do anything, it could just hang out because any moment now it's going to disappear, is a false idea. It's not a true biblical idea. And people get a little bit weirded out because they've trusted it for so long, and yet they can't find it in the Bible. You know, they're going to latch on to 
a, a, a passage of scripture in the Old Testament in Daniel to confirm the entire truth of something when there's 300 different possible interpretations to that one passage? You can't build your life on that. That's not wisdom. You have to go to the master. You begin with Yahshua. You begin with the word. And he draws from the Old Testament. He'll bring Old Testament thought into it, kind of like the days of Noah. Get into your ark. He didn't take anybody off the earth, and yet your pre-trip rapture teachers say, well, the ark is a type and shadow of the church being gone. No, it's not. It's about a man, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters-in-law that are on a boat, protected, through the storm, they go through the tribulation, they show up on the other side, the doors open, they go out and start a new world. It's nothing. That's what happened. Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. So you could surmise all you want to, and you could try to build thoughts and ideas out of the Old Testament scriptures about things, but you have to find in the new covenant, show me seven years of great tribulation. I can show you 1,260 days, 42 months, Three and a half years. They're all the exact same time. And in the book of Revelation, it speaks of 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. It speaks about that in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It speaks about it everywhere. And the great tribulation chapter, Revelation chapter 13, is all about the 42 months, the three and a half years that the, the, the ecclesia, the saints of God, will do nothing to influence the world during the Great Tribulation period, where the mark of the beast will be. So we can show beyond the shadow of a doubt in the book of Thessalonians, connected to the words of the Master, Jesus, in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, we can show that that does not exist. It's an awakening time. My hope is that many believers in Jesus Christ will begin to awaken to the reality of what time it is and though it be very late in the season, hopefully they can begin to prepare something and not go out like Lot, who lingered to the last moment. That's going to be a very serious time for a lot of people. I believe right now if God's people would just surrender and, and lift up their hands and say, Father, I pray that you would take me into your wilderness. And I pray for that eagle anointing, that, that eagle wings, those eagle wings that will lift me up and take me to the place that you prepared for this hour so that I won't get caught in the snare. You said in Luke 21, like a snare, so shall it come upon the whole earth. I don't want to get caught in the snare. So Lord, take me into the place. Be merciful to me. Show me, Father God, and then allow for that to take place. I mean, my God, this is so important in my understanding of things. But what I want to do today in the year 5782 that we're in right now, the awakening, the time of, and you know what's amazing about the number 5782, by the way? Not only does it talk about the awakening, okay? It's the, the year of awakening, and, but it also talks about the nakedness, so the stripping away of the facade that's all over the world. I believe we're going to see that. But it also talks about dens, holes, and caves. Yeah. There are other Hebrew words that come from 5782 that talk about dens, holes, and caves. And we've been through this before, and I showed you in Revelation chapter 6 how the rulers of the world are going to go into the, the dens of the earth, and they're going to go into the rocks, and they're going to say to the rocks, hide us from him who sits upon the face of the, uh, uh, on, of the throne, right, the face of the Lamb. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 24, you, uh, Isaiah chapter 34. You get all these understandings that there are times when the globalist, if you will, the rulers of the world, 
They go into the rocks. They go into the dens. They go into the caves to hide themselves. Now, the rocks, dens, and caves today are your underground bunkers. I think we have a few people right now in underground bunkers, maybe in Russia, maybe in other places around the world. Um, But it's going to happen. The rulers of the world, according to Revelation 6, are going to go and hide in the bunkers. And so this is a time of wrath. It is not the wrath of God. It's the wrath of the Lamb. And we need to understand that beyond the wrath of the Lamb will come the wrath of the dragon, which is the tribulation period, and then at the end the wrath of God. But what is the wrath of the Lamb? It seems to be a moment of, uh, you know, people have been blaspheming the Lord. They've been warring against Jesus. They've been doing everything in their power to, and he's just going to make a little appearing, and it's going to shake the earth. His minor appearing, just a, a little glimpse, is going to bring a worldwide global shaking And it's going to be terrifying for a lot of people. You and I, remember, when you see these things begin to come to pass, when Jesus, in what we call the mini-apocalypse in Matthew 24, when Jesus said everything he had to say about the end times, he said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, flee into the mountains. So you and I should be expecting right now to be carried away on eagle's wings into the wilderness that God has prepared which is a place of joy and gladness in a place like the Garden of Eden. So, you know, you may want to translate that into going to heaven, but it's not what it says. It says we're going into the wilderness, but God is going to be God in the wilderness, just like he was when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. God was there by a cloud by day, a fire by night. He had water out of a rock. He was that rock that followed them. That rock that followed them was Christ, and there was food and water and supply and God was there. God was there. And God is going to be in the wilderness today. It's all about understanding what time it is. So get ready. There is a transition. God's people are going into the wilderness. And those who refuse and don't and get lost in translation are going to find themselves like the Donner Party when the early pioneers were going from the East Coast to the West Coast. The Donner Party got off on their own path And they wound up eating each other because they were in the mountains, uh, starving to death and freezing, right? So we don't want to get lost in translation and find ourselves in places we didn't really, we're not led by the Holy Spirit. So this is a critical time really to be praying, really to be even fasting and seeking the face of God, unless you've already got your marching orders and you already know what to do. Uh, But it is a good time to really understand what God is doing. Uh, it is a critical time in the history of the world because once, like in Luke 21, so like a snare, it will come on the whole earth and they will not escape. You get caught in this snare, and that's when a lot of wrinkles are going to be ironed out. A lot of spots are going to be removed. This is going to be the greatest cleansing for the people that have a profession of faith in God and Jesus Christ that the church has ever known. The great tribulation is not against the world. It is the devil's wrath against the church or everything called God. And so if we don't obey, if we're misunderstanding, if we're ignorant about what to do, and we're thinking in fairy tales that we're going to be out of here, we don't have to worry about it, there's something flawed that's going to have to get cleaned up. And during the great tribulation, there will be much martyrdom. It will be a very difficult time. And people will have to maintain one thing, and that is their faith, not give up on their faith, allow themselves to die even for their faith. But will there be persecution? Will there be torture? Will there be an attempt to rob people and to bore into their souls and remove Christ from their souls? You bet. It's going to be intense. 
I don't want to be there. I don't want, I don't want to play make-believe. This Bible is true, and it's showing up true right now, and I do not want to play uh, make-believe and, and just say peace and safety, peace and safety, everything's all right. Uh, I want to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now. I want to be on track, and right now it's getting – it's very interesting. And I do believe if people will take the time to pray, take the time to fast, go before God, say, I, I need wisdom, I need direction, I need interpretation, I need truth, I need you, Jesus, my master, Holy Spirit, you were given to me. Holy Spirit, you were given to me. You dwell in me forever. You're not here and gone, here and gone. You are the constant in my life, Holy Spirit. And I'm learning to hear you with the hearing of my ears on the inside. I'm learning to see you with my eyes of faith and to observe your movements, your impulses, every little part that you do. I want to be led by you. I want to follow you. Holy Spirit, guide me into all truth. That's your mission in my life. You're to teach me all things. You're to reveal to me, to bring back to my memory. You are the one, Holy Spirit. You're the one. You're the one that goes before us. You're the scout. You're the trailblazer. You're the lead. Holy Spirit, teach me. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything apart from the Word of God. So when the Holy Spirit is leading, it's always by the Word of God. So that's why it's so important to read your Bible and not just go to church and hear a sermon. It's really important that you study the Scriptures. I want to get into some Scripture today because I believe that these these, these chapters that I want to get into right now, they absolutely complete everything that's going on in this world right now. I mean, I want to get into the Word. I want to share the Word, and I want to invite you into the Word. By the way, we apologize. We were booted off of YouTube. Uh, they kicked us off until the 27th. And um, we just said, you know what, we're not going to go out that way. We don't feel that. We're going to move forward in the purposes of God uh, because I intend on bringing back onto the airwaves, not only my, my friends today, like Pastor Jeff and Brother Don and uh, Chris King and others that are out there, and a new friend of mine who's an old friend, Bob Powell, who uh, complimented us on our job with the Kazarians, which, by the way, this is going to show you some of the proof about the Kazarian Mafia that we're going to talk about today in its own way. Uh, but I'm also going to be reaching out to my friend Benjamin Baruch again. And I'm going to go back and, and I'm going to employ uh, the, re the wisdom in some people that I've known for a very, very long time that are going to speak into this moment. So rather than going out with YouTube kicking us off the air, uh, we're going to go until they can't stand us anymore because we're going to let it rip. And that's how I feel about it. And I say that in all humility, by the way. All right, so let's go to Romans chapter 1. we got to go there. we got to Ro Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to get into this word, and I'm going to start it right now. And here's what I'd like to do. It, it's Tuesday. There's a lot going on around the world. We get it. We're in transition, 5782. We get all that. But I want to teach the Bible to you. I want to feed the word of God to you. I want us to get in and eat. I want us to chew on the meat. I want us to get into this. I'm, I'm so tempted uh, to get into this book at our church on Wednesday night Bible studies, uh, and we may absolutely do it. But I definitely, because 
a lot of times people come to podcasts, all they want to do is hear the news of the world. And I've done my best to be balanced and to bring the word of God. And I just think today I want to begin in the book of Romans. And I would like to actually get through about four chapters. So I'm talking about a meal, okay? And I want to get into it because it's the most profound four chapters. And I believe these words will speak to what's going on in the world right now. Remember how we always said um, our job is to look through the biblical lens at the signs of the times and give an interpretation? Well, we're going to look through the biblical lens, Scripture. We're going to see the signs of the times, things going on in the world, through this lens of Scripture. We're going to view the world events through Scripture, and we'll give an interpretation to it. So having said that, for those of you who are going to join me in the journey, I begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And I've got time to do it, so here we go. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So here's a man we could trust, okay? He's separated unto the gospel of God. He is an apostle of God. Verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So this servant of Jesus, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That's all. Do you you realize the depth in just that? That is so deep. Verse 5, by whom we have received grace, and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the call of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, so this is a letter written to the believers in Rome, all believers in Rome, whether they be Jew, whether they be Gentile. This is going to be very important to what we're talking about, so let's get behind it and see it. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, So all believers were called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul sends his benediction. He sends his grace. He sends this peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the letter that he's writing to the believers in Rome were intended to be heard by believers throughout the ages. And you are to hear this message as well. Okay, this is just the way it is. This is the mystery of Scripture. God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His eternal word, he never changes. This is the word of God. He goes on and says in verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So I want you to grasp the audience. In Rome, there were Jewish believers And there were Gentile believers. Got to see that. And that's very real because the Jews that believed in Christ, they had 1,500 years of Mosaic law, right? And they knew Torah. So there they are. And now there's these Gentiles that believe in Jesus too. They just have simple faith. So he's making this comment. He said in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, In the gospel of his son, everything is about the son. It's all about Jesus Christ. 
that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Got to love it. Got to love it. Making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul's writing his letter from afar, and he's wanting to come visit them. For I long to see you, in verse 11, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. So Paul wanted to impart a revelation. He wanted to give them some spiritual understanding, wisdom, a gift of some sort that would establish them in the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So notice that he's talking about the mutual faith, the preaching of the gospel of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, faith. He's bringing faith to them. Super important. Verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So he's been sowing, sowing, sowing. He wants to reap fruit, okay? Wants to know how they're doing. Then he says in verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So he's saying, I've ministered to the Greeks. I've ministered to the barbarians. You know, I'm out there. I'm going, I'm taking care of the Gentiles and also to the Jews. He says, now I'm coming to you, Rome, where you're both Jew and Gentile. And I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Verse 16, he begins, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. All right, so he's laid the foundation. He's greeted the church at Rome, all of us today, wherever we may be hearing this letter. And he's, he's brought us now and he's got our attention. And now he's about to say some of the most profound things that the world has ever heard before. It's a simple understanding, but very profound. And he's ready to preach the gospel. And here it is. Verse 18, Romans chapter 1. Paul begins, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now, I'm, I'm going to do something on purpose. I'm going to get really deep into what he's saying here on purpose. Okay, so I got to not exaggerate it, but I got to bring it to what he was really saying in his fullest meaning, or at least tempt to by the Holy Spirit. So he said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all of it and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So Paul is beginning here, 
to develop an understanding about the people in the world. And he's talking about the creation, the creatures who God created in his image and likeness, mankind. And he's saying that they are without excuse, that he's going to just say that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven upon everybody that has done what they did, right? And then he says, 21, because that when they knew God, in other words, God created everything. They know the power of God. The truth is in them. God put it in their hearts. But when they, what? For when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They wouldn't give God the glory. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So you look today and you say, well, there are people all over the world that should know through creation itself who God is. The gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth, but even before that, in creation itself, and God has put into every man's heart a measure of faith to know, and there's, there's something in the, of the law of God written upon men's hearts in their conscience, but they are not desiring to know God, so they turned away from God. That's what he's saying. Now, it goes on in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, so their heart is darkened. That's what's in the world right now. Darkness is upon the heart of man. And then he said in 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They made it all this their God, right? So they changed the glory of God into these false images that were corrupt. Verse 26, or let's go to verse 25. No, let's go to verse 23 or 24. There it is. Okay, Romans 1:24. Wherefore, because they did this, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So God gave them up, okay? Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So if you stop right there, Paul basically just said that that whole world 
of man, okay, the whole world of creation chose to go away from God. And they became this list. And it is dark, and it is depraved, and it is corrupt, and it is vile that the creation would begin to turn away from God and become useless, reprobate, and would internalize the blasphemy, internalize the wickedness, internalize the evil, and become beast-like in their nature, demonically possessed, wicked to the core. And Paul said, and, he's, and, he's, and you could just see the, the crowd of the listeners you know, there's, there's the Jews and, 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 the, and the, the Jewish believers, and there's the, the Christian believers, the Gentile believers, right? And they're, and they're listening to this letter, wow, look how evil the Roman Empire is. Look how wicked and debauched and, and evil the world is. Look at those barbarians. Look at those, you know, all these different factions of mankind, and they're just so wicked. And you could see that maybe they begin to think, well, they're so bad and they're so evil and the world is so dark and the world is so evil. But then Paul does something in this next part of the letter. And here's what he does in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judges For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you that judge do the same things. What's Paul saying here? You see, we have to be careful not to judge and not to condemn if we're doing the same things the world is doing. And I think Paul's writing to warn the believers of becoming holier than thou or self-righteous, pointing a critical finger, judging and condemning when they are doing the same thing. In other words, their walk with God was a little comp- uh, compromised, maybe a little lukewarm, maybe uh, not as holy as they were claiming to be, uh, maybe participating one foot in, one foot out. I think this is a letter that is really reproving a religious attitude like the Pharisees may have had. Everybody else was so bad, but they were something, but they were full of dead men's bones. And so we as believers, whether Jewish or Gentile, if you want to, we're going to get beyond that paradigm in a little bit. But as believers, we need to make sure that when we look at the world we live in, oh, look what they're doing on on Epstein Island. Oh, look what they're doing over in in Hollywood. Look what they're doing in Washington, D.C. Look what they participated. What would they, they do? Look at their corruption. But if we're doing the same thing, like watching pornography, uh, like stealing or cheating or gossiping or lying or slandering, or, or we're doing anything like that, uh, you know, in our human nature, lower nature part, he's saying, you better be very careful about doing that. Watch what he says next. So he's warning about this judging and condemning for doing the same thing. Verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God, when God judges, is according to truth against them which commit such things. So God judges, right? And verse 3 says, And thinkest thou this, O man, are you thinking, that judges them which do such things, 
and do the same that you shall escape the judgment of God. So here's the, here's the, here's the difficulty in our world today, I believe, and I'm just going to cut through some stuff. There are those that are self-righteous, holier than now, point the finger, but they do with others what they're doing. That's not healthy. But there are also those that don't judge anything. Judge not, lest you be judged. They don't understand what that means because in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said the spiritual man judges all things. Um, So the reason why people aren't willing to judge today are not willing to judge today or look at things and say, wow, that's got condemnation on it. I'm not condemning you, but those activities, according to the word, they are condemned by God and will be condemned by God. I'm not condemning you, but I recognize that is condemnable. So they're afraid to judge. They're afraid to uh, declare the righteous judgment of God upon evil because they themselves are afraid because they're doing the same thing. I mean, I don't want to judge you because I do the same thing. Well, that doesn't make it any better. That doesn't make you any better. It just shows that you're going to have the same judgment on you when the righteous judgment of God comes. But then again, you don't want to judge them and do the same thing because you're going to be judged there too. So there's only one right place to be. Is the spiritual man and woman judges all things. We know what's right and wrong. We know what condemnation is. And when we see the world operating as it does, it is already condemned by God. Romans chapter 5. I don't have to condemn them. They already are condemned. And we can pronounce that. That that's condemned, you need to repent, but we aren't doing the same thing. That we are born again, that we are living a new life, that we're not out there smoking, drinking, cussing, telling dirty jokes, and doing all the negative stuff, right? We are doing the right thing with the knowledge that we have. And as God reveals more to us, then we continue to turn to God. But our job is not to be out there just condemning it, but it needs to be spoken, the thing that he's against is those who speak against it that do the same thing. Don't think you're going to escape judgment. This is really critical, especially for a lot of us that are on the air preaching the word of God and telling the truth about things going on in the world. That's why the teachers get the double condemnation. If we're judging what's wrong and we're doing the same thing, no bueno. If we're not judging because we're doing the same thing, no bueno. I think we understand. So verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So Paul's telling the believers, it's the goodness of God that's leading you to repentance. And that's what all of us should be led in, in repentance. We're changing. We're undergoing a metamorphosis, right? We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, don't despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long suffering that God has with us. He's been very patient with us as we've been going, right? Don't ever forget that in this sin sick world of obvious evil. Don't forget how good and how patient God has been with you and I. That's important. Knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Verse five, Romans chapter two, but after your hardness and impenitent heart, treasuring up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's actually saying to believers that if they're not repenting, but all they're doing is judging that wicked world, but they're not changing themselves, they're literally storing up wrath. 
They're storing up the wrath of God against our own lives. And this is not healthy. So try to put this together now. Let's go a little further. God says in verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. God is going to render judgment to every man according to his own deeds, right? Verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing, keep doing what is right, keep doing what is good, keep repenting, walk in repentance, walk in sanctification, walk in justification, walk in your salvation, keep moving in it. To those who do, he says, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory. That's what you should be seeking. I should be seeking the glory of God, which is a completely transformed life. That's the true glory that's to be revealed in us, the divine nature. It's what the word of God says. So we're seeking that by actions, not just by mental philosophical leadings, right? We're seeking, we're going after the glory. So to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Yeah, because we have eternal life. So we're going after immortality. We're going after the honor of God. We're going after the glory of God. That's what we should be doing in our lives continually, right? Going after these things. What is the reward? He says it, eternal life. So to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth. And here's where he's talking to the believers. You know the truth, but you're not obeying the truth. And to them who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, their inward lower nature impulses, indignation, and wrath. So the one gets eternal life, who are doing what is right. The other, wrath, indignation and wrath. Verse 9 says, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. So if you're doing evil, even as a believer, and there's no confession, there's no repentance, there's no change, there's no seeking after the glory, the new nature that doesn't sin, seeking after the honor of God in your life, seeking after eternal things, uh, immortality. If we're not moving in that direction, he says it right here. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory honor and peace to every man that works good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So working good is walking in the faith, walking in the glory, walking in honor, seeking immortality, doing what is right, obeying the word of God, doing what the word of God says to do. That's why it's so important to know what it says to do, okay? Especially in this new covenant that we are in, and it's going to get into explanation here. Now, in verse 11, there is no respect of persons with God. This is heavy. There is no respect of persons. If you and I who call ourselves believers today are standing in our self-righteous mode 
and we're judging the whole world and looking at it, and we're talking about how filthy, how arrogant, how blasphemous, how evil, how terrible, and yet we're walking in disobedience to the word of God, we're, there's no respect of persons. We may think we're daddy's favorite. We may think that we're something when we're nothing, if we're doing what is evil. Let's be clear on what Paul is saying here. He's not writing to the believers in Rome, the Jew and Gentile believers, telling them that, yeah, you live in Rome and they're filthy, vile, wicked, but, the, but you're not because, you, you know, you're, you're different when they're doing the same thing that they're doing. Okay. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law, so we didn't have the law, we sinned without law, shall also perish without law, because sin is sin. It always produces death. And as many as have sinned in the law, or knew the law, shall be judged by the law. So he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles again. Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Okay. For when the Gentiles which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. We're going to understand what that means here in just a moment. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So here the law of God is written in the heart, and they didn't have the law like the Jews did, but the conscience of all mankind, the law of God has been written in it, to know the difference of good and evil, to know what's right and wrong. That's why a little baby, a little boy, a little girl steals the cookie, and mommy says, did you steal a cookie? And they hide it behind their back, and they say, I didn't steal it. They, they learned to lie because they knew what they did was wrong. But nobody ever sat down and said, now, Johnny, don't steal cookies when you're five years old. Nobody did that for the most part when you think about it, okay? Um, it's written in their conscience. And when you, when you nullify, when you war against that, when you turn against what you know is right and wrong and you do what is evil, that's when the darkness comes, okay? That's what happened to just about every one of us, if not all. And I think it's not all. All right, so <clears throat> where are we here? Verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. All right, so Paul's going to shift now. We're going to go to verse 17, and I think the point has been made, okay? Jew, Gentile, regardless, you're a believer, you're, you're, you know, you're looking at the world as a terrible place, and it is, um, and, and you may... Uh, See that as it is and do what is right. And the more right you go, the more evil it is. And you see it and your judgment is just and it's true. But if you're doing the same thing, if you're, if you're living like them, if you're doing that stuff, you're just as guilty. There's no, you could call yourself a Christian. You can call yourself a Jew. Call yourself anything you want. This is what Paul's getting at. Verse 17. He goes into a little bit deeper explanation. Behold, thou art called a Jew. And rest us in the law and make your boast of God. And I was speaking directly to the Jewish believers in Rome. And knowest his will 
and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind Gentiles, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou, therefore, which teaches another, teachest thou not yourself? Thou that preaches the man should not steal, do you steal? Thou that sayest the man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, do you commit sacrilege? Thou that makest your boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Wow. So the words of Paul are very directed at those that are calling themselves Jews, and they're feeling justified because they have the law. They're Jews. There's a seed of Abraham according to the flesh. We have Torah. We have law. We're of Moses. We're the Jewish people. And we're judging you other uh, believers who are Gentiles. You're going to see that. Um, and, the, and the whole Gentile world is looking at you Jews doing evil as well. And they're seeing the hypocrisy. So God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of your actions. Wow. I wonder if that happens in the world today where the world looks at Christians and they, they see their pastors falling from their high place, committing adultery, uh, getting drunk, using drugs, homosexuality, running rampant, pornography, running rampant affairs. And so they look at the church, the Jimmy Swaggart, and I'm only using his name because everybody knows it. Here's a man, you know, on TV proclaiming to know God, and yet he's in doing evil things, so they said, and I've heard other people say he never really did it, but time will tell and God knows. But there's enough witness out there to show that churches have been now promoting lesbianism, homosexuality, homosexual pastors. Uh, they're, you know, feeding into abortion and transgenderism, and uh, they're politically oriented, and they'll cut someone's throat to get their way, and they'll take them to law, and there's, you know, the world looks at the condition of the church today, and, and, and God is blasphemed because of what we're doing. That's just a truth, isn't it? Now, so, verse 25, he goes into this idea of circumcision. For circumcision verily profits if you keep the law, but if you be a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, speaking of the Gentiles being the uncircumcision, if they're keeping the righteousness of the law, not even having the law, but the law of God in their conscience, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law, or excuse me, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? In other words, if those Gentile believers are doing the law of God in their conscience, not having the law of Moses, but they're keeping it here. That's kind of a circumcision in itself, isn't it? Is what he's saying. And then 27, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law of the conscience, the law of God in their minds, judge you, the Jews who keep the law or didn't keep the law of Moses, but had it, won't they judge you who by the letter and circumcision do transgress the law? Listen, he, verse 28, is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, 
neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. All right, before we go on to chapter 3, what is he saying here? He's saying to the Jewish believers that were around Gentile believers in that paradigm, don't judge them. Don't make them get circumcised. You know, don't put the law of Moses on them when you're not keeping it yourself. And, and your outward Jewishness means nothing to God if you're breaking God's law. Now, this is going to get very intense and very in-depth. And I told you, this is going to go back to the Khazarian Mafia. So if you stay with me, we'll, we'll get into that. So Paul is, 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 is dealing with the unredeemed world, and now he's dealing with the believers that were Jewish and the believers that were Gentiles. He's going into all this different detail. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, let's pick it up. What advantage, then, has the Jew? All right, so you're a Jew. Or what profit is there of circumcision? Well, Paul says, much every way. So there's a lot of profit to being a Jew and a lot of profit to circumcision, chiefly because that unto them, the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but let every man, but every man a liar. Every man a liar, let God be true. As it is written, that you might be justified in your sayings and might overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? I speak as a man. Now, this conversation is going to get amazing, but let's understand what we just read. Is there a prophet of being a Jew? Yes. Is there a prophet of having received the law or circumcision? Yeah. What is the prophet? Well, because God gave his law to them. But let's go back to what a Jew is. Okay, we got to just kind of talk about it for a moment. What is a Jew? Well, Paul just said at the end of chapter 2 that a true Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh. What's he talking about? But then he says the, the, the natural Jew and the sign of circumcision that was given to Abraham. I mean, this is all good because it was to them that God gave his law, the Mosaic law, and the ordinances and all of that. He gave it to them. That's pretty powerful that God would give it to them and not the, the, the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Assyrians, right? So God gave it to them. But who are they? Well, according to bloodline, Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans from Ur. And the last time we looked, that is Iraq today. So when God called Abraham... What blood did Abraham have is what we call Iraqi blood. That blood came from the Chaldeans. So Abraham was called. He was circumcised. The covenant of circumcision was given to all of his seed in the flesh. 
So when Jacob was, or Isaac was born, uh, even Ishmael, when Ishmael was born, we're going to get into all of this. Ishmael, his firstborn, right? He was circumcised. Isaac, from the womb of Sarah. Now remember, Ishmael was from the womb of Hagar, an Egyptian bond slave. Isaac was from the womb of Sarah. That's where the true covenant was to be made. Not with Ishmael and, and Hagar, but with Sarah and Isaac. And then Jacob was born out of Isaac, and he was circumcised. And then Jacob's 12th son, and Jacob became Israel. His name changed from Jacob to Israel, uh, a prince having power with God, rather than the swindler Jacob was. So he had 12 sons, and all his 12 sons were circumcised. So now the, 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 the covenant of circumcision is on the way. We originated with Abraham. It was outward. It was in the flesh. It was a sign of a seal. Okay, of who they were. 400 years later, now this nation grows within the Egyptian palace. We know that. And, uh, or the Egyptian nation. And when God brings them out, now he gives them his law. He raises up Moses. Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments. He gets all the ordinances, the statutes. He gets everything. And all of the laws of God are given to him and given to Israel. Now in the wilderness and then in the promised land, they have the laws of God. They didn't have them in Egypt. Abraham didn't have them. The laws of God came to them while they were in the wilderness. And they stayed with them for 1,500 years, 1,500 years. But for 1,500 years, even though they had the law, it didn't do anything to change their hearts. It was only given, according to Galatians chapter 3 and 4, as a schoolmaster, as a tutor, until Christ came. When Christ came, he fulfilled every aspect of the law. And therefore, the law was fulfilled, and now he could bring in a new covenant. And Paul's getting ready to talk about the new covenant that will do greater things than the law of Moses could ever do. However, in the, in the beginning of the New Testament, you have the Jews, outward according to the flesh, who were still connected to the circumcision, the rite of circumcision, and they were demanding all these other believers to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. That was the big debate in Acts chapter 15. The apostles came out with a lot of wisdom said, why should we put a yoke on them that we and our fathers couldn't keep? So, now we go back to Romans chapter 3 here. Let's go just a little bit further. <clears throat> Verse 6, God forbid, in other words, and back in verse 5, but if our, un, if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? In other words, okay, if our being unrighteous gives God glory, and that's not what he's saying. He's saying that's crazy, okay? Our unrighteousness does not promote God's glory or righteousness because there was a doctrine being taught that if we remain unrighteousness, unrighteous, then God's glory will be continually promoted. But he says, God forbid, right? So, verse 6, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? So if God wanted everybody to be unrighteous so that his righteousness could be promoted, 
Well, then how could he judge the world for their unrighteousness? So it was never God's intended purpose for the creation that he created to be unrighteous. Okay? Because then how could he judge us for our unrighteousness? If that's what he wanted us to be. That wouldn't work. So Paul's making a statement here. God doesn't want us to be unrighteous. He is going to judge all unrighteousness. So how do we get righteous then? How does judgment pass from us? How does condemnation pass from us? How do we become righteous? Is it by keeping the law? Is it by circumcision? Well, he's going to talk about it. Here we go. Verse 7. For if the truth of God has more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? So, if the truth of God has more abounded through my lie. So, God's truth is really great because I keep lying. So, my lying is helping God's truth to be promoted. Crazy talk, right? He says, well, if that's the case, why am I judged as a sinner? I mean, if I'm supposed to be unrighteous and I'm supposed to be a liar and that helps God's righteousness and his truth, would I be judged, right? Why should I be judged as a sinner? Verse 8, and not rather as we slanderously, be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, so Paul's going, some people are slandering us saying that we say this stuff, and it's reported that we say this stuff, what? So he says, and not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just, Paul said. I mean, they, Paul was saying that there were people saying that they preach, let us do evil so that good, God's goodness can come. And he said, whose damnation is just. Paul was not preaching, let us do evil, let us lie, let us be unrighteous so that God could be good. That was blasphemy. That was worthy of damnation. He was never saying we should lie, we should be unjust, we should do evil. It's not what he taught. What was he saying? Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they He's talking to the Jewish believers now, okay, who were demanding circumcision. Keep the law of Moses, okay? He's, he's dealing with this church in Rome that's trying to come together as one new man. Remember, Paul's intention is to get them beyond the Jew-Gentile paradigm into the one new man reality. Neither Jew nor Gentile, bond or free, male or female, but the one new man is Christ. Not Jew, not Gentile. But while the Jews and Gentiles were together, the Jews were judging the Gentiles and telling them they had to do all this stuff. So he's talking to the Jews in this case. And he's telling them, what then? Are we better than they know and no wise? For we have before proved, we've proved it, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Even those who had the law. Even those who had the Mosaic law, from God's holy perspective, they didn't keep the law. They broke the law. The law didn't make anything perfect. The law couldn't do anything to change man's heart. 
So they were all, what? Under sin. As it is written in verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who's he talking about? Those people. No. The whole creation. That's what it says. The whole creation. Not one human being is just before God. Not those that had God's laws and not those who didn't. And he's warning and teaching and instructing the believers in Rome, Jew and Gentile. You've got to stop thinking that you're better than the Gentiles because you have the law, because you break the law, because the law can't help you to become what God has called you to be, which is the righteousness of God. He's called you to become like his firstborn son. You're going to be born again. You're going to get a new nature. You're going to be changed from the inside out. I've got the power to come into your life to make all things new concerning you. See, his plan is so far beyond their thinking. Now, I think he's made his point pretty good. Verse 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. I want you to think about this just for a moment. I'm going to do the same thing. We're talking about the war in Russia, the war in Ukraine. We're talking about the injustice, the possibility of war with China, Taiwan, those illegal immigrants coming through our border in the South. We're talking about, uh, you know, our corrupt politicians, Epstein Isle. We're talking about sex trafficking in Disneyland. We're talking about pandemics, deception, pride, ego, corruption. We're seeing all this garbage all the time. It's been here from the beginning of time, by the way. I guess what Paul would say is, yeah, it's true. But how are you doing? How's your walk with God? Are you still unrighteous? Are you still guilty? Are you still ashamed? Are you still condemned? Do you still have filthy thoughts in your mind? Have you not yet transitioned from the carnal mind to the mind of Christ? Has your heart imaginations that are filthy and unholy? Then how could you judge anybody else? Well, I don't do those things. Jesus said, if you think upon a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery, as with every other thought that goes into our heart. Ah, he presses a little bit deeper into our own hypocrisy, our own self-righteousness, our own holier-than-thou. Yes, the world is corrupt. Yes, it's evil. And yes, you and I are to be a light that exposes the darkness. But how can we expose the darkness if we are dark? How if we're lying, cheating, 
carnal, worldly. How could we judge? So he's pressing it. See what he's done? He has brought everything under one thought. And what is that? That one thought. I'm going to read it in verse 19 again. Now we know that the things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty, become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So number one, understand that the whole world is guilty before God. The only way that you and I no longer fit into that reality is when we have been born again, and he's going to tell us how it works now. There's only one way. Rather than me explaining it, let God say it. How do you and I not fit into that? Because listen, if we still fit into guilty, that the whole world is guilty, if we're still guilty, the wrath of God is going to hit us. So what has God done to help you and I not to be guilty. We were once in that world. We were once corrupt. We were once filthy. We were once all of that. All of it. Perverse, vile. You may think, well, I was a good person. None is good. No, not one. We just read it. Nobody was good before God. Let's get that clear. So if we can't say anything to it because we're still like it, Well, we're still under the guilty sentence then. If we're boastfully shouting, we're Christians and we know the word and we're pointing the finger, but we still break God's laws and do the evil things that we're not supposed to do, we're still unrighteous, we're guilty. So how do you get out of it? How do you get out of being declared guilty by God? Oh, is it cheap? Is it just, oh, a whimsical phrase? Let's take a look. Here's how it looks in verse 21. Verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Oh, the law and the prophets witnessed the righteousness of God. Who is the righteousness of God? What is the righteousness of God? Who witnessed it? Moses and Elijah stood on the Mount of Transfiguration when Yeshua, Jesus, the Son, the Son, the righteousness of God is Jesus. The righteousness of God is Yeshua. He is the righteousness of God. So now the righteousness of God. Without the law, Yeshua fulfilled the law. He came to bring a new covenant of grace. Watch, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Yeshua manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. So there's a righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is 
no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Because all are guilty. But faith of Jesus Christ releases the righteousness of God upon all that believe. Now, wait a second. I believe in Jesus Christ. You believe. So, by that belief, by that faith, real faith, not mental assent, this is about faith, believing, action. Through that faith, by that faith, the righteousness of God has now come unto my life. I am actually declared righteous. Not my own righteousness, which we'll see, but the very righteousness of God has been given to me so that I can do righteousness. And while I'm working that out, I am quick to confess all sin. I'm quick to repent, to turn in the direction of doing what is right. Well, let's find out what is right, okay? So here we go. There is no difference. Verse 23, Romans 3.23, this is a famous scripture. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's not one person on the planet that can boast. Man, if we get that, if we come into agreement with what God is saying, let every man's thought be a lie, but let God's be true, right? If we understand that we are all guilty sinners before a holy God, and he doesn't need us to be sinful, liars, and evil to promote his righteousness, no. No, he didn't create us that way. He created us in his image and in his likeness to be like him. Sin has destroyed much. Through Jesus Christ, the restoration has begun in the life of all who believe. But what he's saying is that you and I now who believe and have faith, that righteousness has been put on us so that we could walk in it. Watch. Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace. Here's the new covenant. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me just say that again. This is the new covenant. Doctrines of our faith. Being justified freely. What does it mean to be justified? Well, to be justified translates into just as though I've never sinned. Justified cleared of all guilt, cleared of the sentence of wrath, cleared of judgment and the wrath of God. I'm cleared. I'm justified. How am I justified? By works? What I've done? What I'm doing? No. The faith is 
being just like I've never sinned before in, before God, he treats it that way, being justified freely. I didn't do a thing to earn it. I couldn't buy it. I couldn't work hard enough for it. I'm justified freely. Why? By his grace. God's unmerited favor. God's love. God's compassion. Seeing the world in its sin-sick condition. God's grace. Not to the Jews alone. But to the whole world. Of the sin-sick world. Of all human beings, God justified freely by his grace, by his love, his compassion, his favor, his desire, his initiation. God's looking at sinful beasts and saying, I'm extending to you my grace. Not because you're good enough. Not because you deserve it, but in your wrathful, beast-like condition, I'm extending you an opportunity. I'm reaching out to you, sin-sick humanity. I'm reaching out to you, drug dealer, pimp, prostitute, fornicator, liar, thief, murderer, homosexual, pedophile, lesbian, transgender, corrupt politicians, vile filthy, unclean, religious hypocrite. I am reaching out to you. This is what God was saying. I know what you're like. I know what you have become as a fallen human nature. You're worthy of death. You're worthy of being obliterated off the face of the earth and going to eternal damnation. But rather, I'm extending my grace to you. And I am willing to clear your slate. I, through my work, my work, am offering to you the deal of a lifetime. I am now prepared to declare you, the sinner, guilty of eternal damnation, a way out. And it's going to be through my son's blood. I am offering to you a sacrifice. I'm doing it, God says. I'm initiating it. I'm going to offer to the world of the most vile sinners an offering. I'm going to offer it to the Jews who think there's something under the law but are nothing. The law could not... Do one thing because of your human condition. I'm going to offer it to the barbarians, the Scythians. I'm going to offer it to the Greeks. I'm going to offer it to the Arabs. And I'm going to offer it to the Asians and the Hindus. And I'm going to offer it to the, the, uh, the atheists. I'm going to offer it to the agnostic. I'm going to offer it to all. I'm going to offer it to everybody, the whole world, everybody. Not the good part, all of it, the most evil, the most I'm giving it. That's what it says. Being justified 
freely by his grace. Now, why are you justified today? Cleared, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no accusation. God is not pointing a finger. The devil always will, but God's not. Why? Because your faith has received the deal. You said, I want it. I don't want this guilt. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go into the lake of fire. I don't want to go into outer darkness. I don't want the worm to feed off of me forever, the never-ending worm. I don't want to know eternal torment. I'm taking the deal. But now that we've taken the deal and we're justified freely by the grace of God that's in the blood of his son, which we'll see in a moment, Shall we then continue to live like we used to because we're under this grace? When you put it in the terms we are, you would say, are you kidding me? How could I ever go back to live the way I was knowing that the wrath of God was on me? Now I've received grace, which is the righteousness of God to justify me, to clear my slate, to declare me righteous. How could I ever go back and live that way? Hmm. So let's go on just a little bit further here. Being justified, verse 24, Romans 3, freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's the redeemer. Uh, The cost, the price, the redemption, the blood. All right, that's how it was done. Whom God, speaking of Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation Through faith in his blood. Man, I got to find that. Let me see this. Praise God. The word propitiation. Okay, the word propitiation, whom God hath set forth, speaking of Jesus, he set him forth to be a propitiation. That is a Greek word that is translated hilastion or hilasterion. And it simply means an expiatory, okay, an atoning victim. It talks about the mercy seat, that word propitiation. So he's the mercy seat. He is the expiatory offering. He's the atoning victim. So God set forth his son to be the atoning victim, okay, he set forth to be a propitiation, the atoning victim, through faith in his blood. So now your faith and my faith is in his blood because it's his blood that sets the atonement. It's his blood that cleanses the conscience. It's his blood that wipes clean the slate takes away the judgment, takes away the indignation, takes away the wrath. It's his blood. So through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It's very difficult to put into words. But the truth of the gospel, when faith catches up to it, is your sins are forgiven. The wrath of God that was on you is gone. You who were once guilty before God with the whole world are no longer guilty. 
The blood of Christ has paid the price for you according to your faith. And when you grab hold of that atonement, it brings you up and out and into a new life where God's righteousness is now upon you. He sees you through the blood of his son. He sees you righteous. And your faith is catching up with that. You're not a sinner. You were a sinner, but you're not any longer. You're not guilty anymore. You're forgiven. You're clear. There's no judgment against you. This creates liberty. This creates freedom. This creates life and energy and all the darkness and all the sickness that comes from sin and guilt and shame and condemnation. It all begins to break, and it begins to release, and the cords are broken, and the bonds are dashed, and everything is released, and you now are a free. You're free to serve the living God as a son and a daughter and a servant. And my God, to keep that in a religious box is ridiculous. You're free if it's real. If it's real. Go after this. Receive this. Maybe it's all been religion, but today go after it afresh and let's go on. He says to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. He's our justifier. Jesus Christ is the one who justifies us by what he did. Hello out there. Are you saved by grace? Are you the greatest criminal in the world? Are you the worst kind? There's justification for you. There's redemption. There's forgiveness. You are a wretch, but he will forgive you. Come on. We've all been there. The whole world was guilty. You know what? Man, Hunter Biden, everybody's coming out against Hunter Biden. Self-righteous Fox Nation News. We're going to show what Joe Biden's son did, Hunter Biden. Who cares? Some of you have done just as he's done and worse. You see, the self-righteous hypocrites are just as bad as the rest. The call of God is to the creation. Yes, you're guilty, you're condemned, but there's a justifier. There's forgiveness, repent, turn to God before his wrath hits you. Yes, wrath is coming. Yes, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven upon all evil, right? And upon all wickedness. Yes, yes, yes. Wrath is here. Wrath is coming. Wrath, yes. But the gospel is to the ends of the earth to tell people to repent. Let it be their choice. But let them know they have a way out. Was there a time in your life where you didn't know a way out? I know I've been there. I've been in places very, 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 very dark and wonder, dear God, is there ever going to be a way out of this? And God made a way through his son. And he said, listen, here's my offering to bring you out. I initiate it. Take hold of it and it'll bring you out. And he did. And man, it's incredible. And it's a working out and it's a continuation, moving on continually, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality, going after the things of God. 
going after freedom, going after liberty, walking in it, not because of what I have done, not because of the law, not because I'm a good boy, not of any of that, because I have believed in Jesus Christ and his righteousness has been given to me. Watch this. This is, this is crazy good. This is crazy good. Watch. Verse 27. Where is boasting then? If it's all from the Lord, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. That's how it works. It's the law of faith. And what is the law of faith? I believe. I have genuine faith. Then the energy of the offering becomes a reality in the life. So, therefore, verse 28, Romans 3:28, we conclude, ah, conclusion to a chapter, that a man is justified. And let me just show that word justified, just to bring clarity to it. That's the diakio, all right, the diakio. It means to render righteous, to render just or innocent. That's the Greek definition, to render just or innocent. You are innocent. You're innocent. You are. That should be more life-giving spirit to you than anything in the world. You are innocent unless you're taking the grace of God in vain or I, unless we are saying, oh, I'm saved by grace, so I'm going to continue to sin and enjoy the world. That doesn't work in this economy. The economy of grace that I'm speaking about, that Paul was speaking about, does not afford a licentious lifestyle. Those preachers out there, once saved, always saved, you're saved and now live the way you want to live, they are so undermining the grace of God, it is not even funny. I am terrified for them who have taught people to go ahead and you can sin because you're a sinner and that's what you do, but the grace of God is on you. This has nothing to do with that. This grace is a promotion promotion of the righteousness, the equity, the character of God. Now, do we sin along the way? Yep. What do we do when we sin? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin if we confess it. If we confess our sin. Why are you going to confess your sin if it doesn't matter after all? I believe in Jesus, so whatever I do doesn't matter, so why confess it? But, he says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we will, as we go, as we learn, as we grow, we're going to have to stay before the Lord and confess and tell the truth on our thoughts. We're going to have to get cleaned up. We've got to get washed. It's, there's a working out of this salvation, but never the idea of using God's grace so we can live like the world. Never. Now, he goes on to say, which I think, by the way, is really cool that God's grace can do what I can't do myself. It's not, again, me doing it. It's God's grace. It's God's justification that's doing it. And my faith is believing that I don't have to anymore. I don't have to sin anymore. 
I don't have to walk in the flesh anymore. Yeah. Goodbye, my dear. Have a super blessed Amen. day. You liking this conversation? Love it. Good for you. All right. So I am too. So anyways, Patricia's on an assignment right now. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, question, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, the Jews, by faith and uncircumcision, the Gentiles, through faith. Ooh, that's something to figure out, huh? By faith and through faith. Everything that we have read so far boils down to the law of faith, whether it's by faith or through faith, whether it's the Jew or the Gentile. It's all faith. And what does that word faith mean? The faith that's being spoken of here is the pistis. And the pistis means persuasion. You're, the, the reason why the gospel, the true gospel, is taught, because if it's not the true gospel, you can become persuaded of something else that's not true, and that's deception. The true gospel that we become persuaded of, the faith that we have, the persuasion, we are forgiven. You and I are persuaded that Jesus Christ has done it. We're persuaded that the righteousness of God has come upon our life. We're persuaded that we are justified, innocent. We are persuaded. It also means a moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God. It means reliance upon Christ for salvation. All right? Reliance upon Christ for salvation. Constancy, meaning continual constancy in such profession. So faith is a consistent, ongoing confession. Not, I went to the altar 20 years ago, I believed in Jesus, I'm saved. No, Faith is a continual, constant profession. It is an assurance. It's awesome. And everything is about faith. Seeing, okay, again in verse 30, it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith, the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then, knowing all this, seeing all this, do we then make void the law? Ooh, the law is coming in. Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Mm. Well, here comes a great conversation. We don't make void the law. We don't make void being Jewish. We don't make void the circumcision because it was to them, the Jews, who knew circumcision and had the law, that God gave. It was they, they, got, they had it all here. 
So it's all good. It's not evil. It's not bad. Do we make it void? No, we establish it or fulfill it. How? How? Well, let's go to the next chapter. I'm running out of time here. The answer to the question is in chapter 4. And there's no way I'm going to have time to do it. But I'll begin. Romans 4.1, what shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. Okay, we're getting into this thing about the law being established. And he goes to Abraham. And he's asking, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, he's our father in the flesh, Abraham, has found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Did he have the law of Moses? No. Was he a Jew? No. He believed, watch this now, he believed God while he was in the land of the Chaldeans and Ur, right? So he believed God, and that belief, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And by the way, that word righteousness that we've been looking at is the diakiosene, and it means, um, I love this definition, it means equity of character. The righteousness is the equity of character. Uh, in a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. So righteousness puts one in the state they ought to be, the condition acceptable to God. So the righteousness that the believer gets puts us in a condition that is acceptable to God. And that's not the continual sinful nature condition. It's the born-again new creation condition. All right? So this talks about integrity, virtue, rightness, correctness of thinking. I mean, righteousness puts us in a different place, right? So now to him, it says in verse 4, that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if I work for it, it's owed to me. But to him that works not, so we don't achieve this by works, but believes, so now our faith is incorporated, who believes on him that justifies the ungodly, that's where our faith is directed, our belief is directed on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So my work is to believe. My faith, my being persuaded, affords the righteousness or me being put into a condition that's pleasing to God. Okay? It's counted for righteousness. My faith is counted for righteousness, not my works. My faith. Verse 5, um, excuse me, verse 6. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. Now, you've got to understand the word imputes here. And that word means to kind of put into one's account. It's the logizomei or something like that. It means to reckon or count or compute or calculate or count over. All right. It also means to take an inventory or an estimate or to conclude 
uh, to impute, to lay, which just simply means that it's put into our account. It's put into our account, all right? It's reckoned up. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin or lay to his account. Hmm. That's how blessed you and I really are. We're blessed because God is not laying our sin to account. Because we're forgiven, because we're justified by the blood. We're declared righteous by our faith in what Christ has done. Why do I say all of this? I told you that this conversation was going to talk about the Khazarian Mafia and, and what that is. Because when you really get into the depth of what's happening here right now, what Paul is writing about, this has nothing to do with a Jew-Gentile paradigm. Things Jewish, things Gentile. Israel in the Middle East, Jewish. No, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with becoming a new creation. It has to do with the kingdom of God which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about a person who's changed from a natural man to a spiritual man, from an old nature to a new nature, from people that are undergoing an inward transformation, intrinsic transformation. I love that saying. I love that. Intrinsic transformation. And so in the world, in the natural world, there are things that look a certain way, but they're deceptive. Now, verse 9 says, Blessed is, uh, uh, comes this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or the Jews, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision, what's he saying? He's saying Abraham had faith before he was ever circumcised. Before Abraham was ever circumcised, he had faith, and it's his faith that brought God's righteousness to him. He was declared righteous by his faith, not by his circumcision. The circumcision was simply a seal of the righteousness of God then given. But we just saw earlier that our circumcision is of the heart, not in the flesh. Although most males in this country are circumcised. But that doesn't matter. That's another story. I got to stop right there. Um, I, I have to. I don't want to. I want to keep going because the rest of this story is absolutely phenomenal. Well, I guess that's it for now. Okay. What can I say? Perspective. When we view life and the world through the biblical lens, it is what it is. It's a sin-sick world. But you and I are the physicians. You and I do have an assignment 
to call the sinner to repentance, to declare the, 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 the wrath of God that is hanging over a guilty world. We have to tell them. We have to tell them. But God forbid we condemn them and judge them when we do the same things. The only way we could ever be in a position to say anything to anybody is because our faith has taken hold of the justification that produced the righteousness that we now have a legal standing before God to speak to the world and call them to repentance. And if not, they will suffer the eternal judgment of God. That puts the fear of God in us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are not under the law of Moses. The law of Moses has been completely fulfilled by Yeshua himself. And that's why when he did it and was declared righteous, we are now declared righteous. And we are going to see how the law is fulfilled in us through faith. It's kind of like everything God desires, we actually do because of our faith and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to get into that conversation tomorrow. Um, Don't mean to offend anybody. Step on toes about the law of Moses thing. I know a lot of people want to stay there. Uh, But if you do, it cannot. By keeping all the 603 Johnson Tittles, 613 laws, can't do it, folks. It's only going to be by faith in what Jesus Christ has done that's going to bring the release to the liberty in your life. You can confidently skip forth like the calves out of the stall. You could run upon the highest mountain and say, God, let me serve you with all my heart because of what you've done for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. You, 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 made, it, you, made, me, you made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I can't refuse it. And I'm going to partake of that offering the rest of my life. I'm going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And then we'll talk about wars and rumors of wars and end-time Bible prophecy and all the other things. But in comparison to our salvation. But because we're saved and we know these things, now we talk about them. Love you, folks. I wish you Christ. I wish you Christ. And I pray for your faith. Please pray for mine. I pray for your faith that it will grab hold. It will partake. It will apprehend Christ's work so that the release will come out of the head of knowledge into your heart. Because when it does, you're going to come back to life, I'm telling you. You're not going to be sick, cancer, disease. It's not going to have you. Receive what I'm saying. Receive the word. Watch the energy flow. When you know you're standing before God, not guilty, no condemnation, you have believed. You're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're walking in faith, pleasing God, loving God, serving God, enjoying God. Praising God, worshiping God, hallelujah in God. Come on. I got to go. Jody says, as you are talking, my husband and I are getting ready to meet a woman in a coffee shop that my son and daughter-in-law met 
who was totally for the shot and advocated for the shot, who took the shot as an athlete, who pretty much almost died and has been severely injured by the shot. I'm getting ready to interview her in a few minutes. Pray for me that it may be I can pray for her healing. I do pray for her healing, and I pray that God will give you the grace to do that, Jody. God bless you and Richard. Uh, We met Jody and Richard while we were in Sarasota about a year ago or so, and precious, precious saints of God. They love the Lord. All right, a few other comments here this morning. Feel free to listen in on Hannah McLeod. Good morning, Pastor V. Hello. Um, Brian and Kathy were with us today. Johan Vermulen. Many country leaders are forming satanic alliances, forming satanic alliances. You're right, Johan. Uh, Treason seems to be the new normal. How sad, how sad that God's laws are exchanged for the kingdom of Satan. That is a global disaster and the biggest one of them all. May his righteous judgment soon fall. Yes, the only thing that can avoid it is true repentance. Who shall take heed? Amen, brother. That is so right on. God bless everybody. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Shalom.